Super Scoreboard. The old firm through the decades. Peter, there were all manner of nationalities inside that Rangers dressing room that you walked into. And there at the head of it all was a occasionally volatile man, uh, certainly with the press. Uh, you can tell us about what he was like inside the dressing room, but Dick Advocat was a, a major coach. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, mean, I always, you know, he had the nickname the general and he was, uh, everybody had that thing of being scared of him, of, you know, you couldn't really talk to him and, and he was quite tough. And I was young, you know, like I said, I was 20 years old when I signed and then just from I went into, you know, it was big personalities in it. Um, he had to deal with a lot of big superstars um, and I probably wouldn't have been easy, but I think he did it well and he was he was good at it. Um, but for me personally, I thought he was he was great, you know, I mean, he was honest and that's what I like the best about a manager. As long as you're honest and, and you can... You, you say uh, the things that the players need to hear um, without being around the bush and he, he was like that with me and I seen that good side to him and like probably nobody ever would have seen to him um, I remember we were in pre-season in, in uh, I think it was in America at that point and uh, I had had three pulled hamstrings in my first year um, and I was fighting to get back and I was trying to get used to the game and building my muscles up and it was tough and I remember going into this pre-season game in, 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 in America and uh, I think it was about five minutes to go in the game, literally five minutes to go, and uh, I pulled it again the fourth time, and uh, I, I broke down. You know, I mean, I came into the dressing room and I sat outside the changing room myself, and I was a bit in tears and stuff because I was, I felt the pressure on me with the uh, with coming from 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 Denmark, wanted to live up to expectations and this and that, and not being able to be part of it and pulled four times, pulled your hamstring and been out for so long, it was it was so difficult. And uh, I remember you coming out. And he seen me sitting over by myself, and he came over and just sat down next to me, putting his arm around me, and uh, just told me, you know, I mean, you got time, you're a young boy, you know, and you got time, you got so much talent, you got this and that, and he was like, just giving me a great wee talk, and you just didn't expect that from him. And mm. I was, you know, after looking back, you're thinking, Oof, you know, I've never seen a side to him like that at all. You know, he's always been kind of like <laughs> you're scared to talk to him in times and intimidating and stuff. But yeah, that was a side that I that I experienced off him, and that kind of put me in a in a different light with him I'll leave you that what was it like when uh, you lose 6-2 at Celtic Park and then <laughs> w- when you win 5-1 against Celtic at Ibrox how were the, the emotional highs and lows at that point to be fair you know John could probably back me up I think the change room sometimes speaks for itself you know without the manager saying anything you know I mean you're going in and losing at Celtic Park 6-2 you know there was a lot of voices going on in the change room not only the manager there was a lot of players talking and and uh, you know it was it was very a very down duration like you would say, um, and of course all the way around you go and win five one at home and everything is in another level. And of course he's very positive and very but still very professional. You know get his team talk out the way of saying we done well and what we did well and now focus on the next bit and and then you know I mean that's just normal you know what I mean. But sometimes John can probably say it as well. Sometimes it's more the players who does the talking uh, after games, especially big games like that. Picked up now by Claudia Arena. Still at Arena coming forward. Good run here by Barry Ferguson. Surely this time, yes! The Rangers captain has scored! With 34 minutes gone here at Ibrook Stadium. And Barry Ferguson, well it's payback time from him after the last Old Firm game when he let himself and his teammates down. He's given Rangers a lead in this vital match. Played forward now to Flo. 
to De Boer. He's quickly challenged. And uh, Thompson dives in there. And Ferguson, he's going to be off here. He's already got a yellow card. Dived into that. It's a second yellow and a red for Thompson. De Boer inside the penalty. And Moles is there. And it's 5-1 to Rangers. Well, they are taking revenge here this afternoon. A sweeping move forward. And Michael Moles was in the end of that one. Rangers 5 Celtic one. Would that be the case, John? Would would players talk more than Martin O'Neill? Sometimes he'd let you talk. He, he'd let you have your five minutes, and and then that would be it. He'd say, "Look, have your five minutes," and then when I'm talking, I want silence. I want anybody butting in, talking over me, and nobody even dared to do that. But once or twice, me, Tom, or Lenny, maybe the cheeky ones, tried <laughs> it, and we were certainly put back in our in our place within no time. But normally, uh, Peter, as well, when you when you get a big, heavy drubbing like that, 5-1 against Rangers, and a couple of times in my career, playing from Wales, we lost 7-1 to Holland in Amsterdam. I played, playing for West Ham, we got beat 5-1 at Highbury once when Mark Overmars and Anelka were just ridiculous. We just could not cope with them. Normally, then, that's not the time to scream and shout from a manager's point of view, because he knows the players are very, very down. They know they've let themselves down, let the club down, let everybody down. And that's sometimes not the time to do it, is right after the game. Sometimes on a Monday morning, he would have a video session. We'd all go upstairs and we'd run through the video. And then individually, he would just go through you in terms of what you did wrong, where you should have been, your positional was wrong. Uh, your positional sense was wrong. You let runners run off you. You know, you never worked hard enough to get across in that situation. All these things you can go through on a video. So sometimes after games, tempers, the players, he knows the players are feeling bad enough. So what what he's maybe thinking is, I don't want to make them feel any worse. They've got to get on the courts. They realise that they've let everybody down. I will wait. I'll wait until Monday. Um, and then I will I will get them back, get them back to the drawing board, get them back on the training field, and we can try and recover from this terrible result. Not too many times in a in an 18 year career it happened to me, but the times that it did, sometimes it's not the right place to do it straight after the game. You know when tempers are are all over the place and people's emotions, things can happen. So the quality, the better experienced manager will just be calm and use his experience when you do get that heavy defeat, you know? Yeah, in this phenomenon that we know is the old firm, Peter, certain events become iconic and remain ingrained in the mind forever. And there was one called Helicopter Sunday where Celtic were within minutes of winning the league title and then dropped it, and Rangers won it. What do you remember of that weekend? Oh, um, I remember everything. You know, it's it was an yeah, iconic and unbelievable experience to be part of. You know, I was I was on the bench at the Easter Road, and um, when you got the result, you, know, you hear the result of people talking behind you. The bench, you hear. Uh, I think it was masseuses and stuff sitting behind us, and they were like Celtics one 0 up, and. Uh, and we were like, we went 1-0 up. But I remember our game was was so... <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, um, you know, because we were 1-0 up. And I know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm certain that Hibs 
couldn't he lose with a certain amount of goals and they will lose the European spot or something like that. Uh-huh. So they weren't interested in, in going for anything. So basically our game after we went 1-0 up, we were just keeping the ball at the back, playing the back forward, up and down. No, no chances in the game at all. It was so boring. And it wasn't until suddenly they came through that uh, Motherwell and Scott McDonald had equalised. Suddenly Hips went for it and started attacking us and, uh-huh. and going for it. Um, and then it went 2-1. And we hear it on the sideline, you know, happening. And you, it's just so surreal. And you're like, what? It says, is this for real? And you can see the fans are going crazy. They must have heard it going through the radios or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, and you're you just, at that time when you went, first when it went one each, and then to two one, you're sitting going, please blow the whistle now. You're, like, you're just waiting for the whistle to go both yeah. places for it to end. And, and then, yeah, that was just a surreal moment that you just kind of, it's hard to explain. But yeah, it was hard. It was amazing. John, I have never seen Martin O'Neill look so shell shocked as he was that day. Well, he was. He was very quiet in the dressing room, never said a word, just got his head in between his knees and looking at the floor. Um, that was as disappointing as disappointments go. You know, we, we didn't do enough on the day. Uh, I wouldn't say we underestimated Rangers going to Hibs and winning because we always felt that they were capable of that. Um, we should have got the job done. We had to win the game and the title would would be ours. I was on 30 goals that year, which is the most I scored in one season. Uh, our front three that day was Bellamy, Hearts and Sutton. Oh. Three internationals capable enough of going and winning a football match. Petrov played, Lennon played. Um, we just didn't do enough and it was incredibly disappointing uh, to lose it, in particular the way that we had. Uh, to lose it by a point. While I was at Celtic for five years, I won three titles and lost two. The two that I lost was that game. We lost by a point. And then there was the other games then where we lost it the Seville year. Oh. But we got to the UEFA Cup final and we ended up losing the league by a goal. So if you can imagine in the five years I was there, three titles, three winning titles. And the two that I lost, I lost by a goal. And I lost by a point. Oh. So they were both so ever, ever so close, the ones that I lost. But Rangers went and got the job done. Credit to them. We just couldn't quite find a way to beat Motherwell. They came out in the second half. I actually got taken off with about 15 minutes to go. And Craig Beatty came on. And Craig came on to run the channel so that we could play the ball in behind. Um and Craig was told to get in behind because he had lots of great energy. Um, Craig beat Craig uh, Beatty, come off the bench. So I'm standing on the bench, and I'm actually thinking my father is in the crowd somewhere with four or five of his mates. They drove up from Wales that morning, and I couldn't see them. It was just a picture of green and white. We had more than three quarters of the ground here in terms uh-huh. of travelling support, you know. Um, and I'm thinking. When the referee blows his final whistle here, I'm trying to figure out where my dad was in the crowd. And I'm thinking, what end am I going to run to? Because when that whistle goes, we've won the title, and it's elation, and it's hands in the air, you're celebrating, all the fans are going to throw their scarves on the pitch. Am I going to run to behind the goal? Am I going to run to the end where that is directly behind me, the main stand? Or am I going to run to the left behind the goal? Um and then all of a sudden, from feeling that way, I find myself just walking down the tunnel. 
the ref's blown his whistle and I'm walking down the tunnel into the dressing room. I'm ending up with nothing. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things where all of a sudden you got it and then it's literally snatched out of your hands within, as you say, minutes, a minute. Um, and the dressing room again was very quiet. We probably just couldn't believe what had happened. It was, it was probably a sense of shock and one or two other words. Um, <laughs> But there's nothing you can say in these moments. But what we did do, in, in all fairness to the character of that team, we ended up going on to win the, the Scottish Cup that year. We beat Dundee United 1-0, and that was Martin's last trophy. And Martin's actual last game in charge of Celtic. So was, although we, we, we should have won the league, we didn't, we didn't get it done. Um, we ended up winning the Scottish Cup, which I wouldn't even say softened the blow, but... You know, it was good for Martin to, to finish off, you know, as a Scottish Cup winner. By that time, Peter, Dick Advocate had gone and the manager was Alec McLeish. Uh, quintessentially Scottish, Alec McLeish. How did you react to him? Um, I had a really good relationship, uh, probably an up and down relationship, you would say, but on playing under him, he was kind of the, the manager who, who brought me through? You know, I mean, in the Rangers team, it was uh, it was him who gave me the chance. Really, you know, under the Gavacat, we had so many superstars in the team. It was difficult to get a to get a game. Um, as soon as Alex McLeish came in, he kind of put trust in me in that way and and played me. Um, even though he played me in the wrong position, in my own opinion, for <laughs> five and a half years, um, basically I was out there on the left wing in a four four two, even though I was a striker, but. Um, Every time he played Celtic, he'd almost put me up front every time, and that's when I kind of had success and I scored. But been following game back out on the wing again, but it was it was under him that I kind of strived and I kind of went 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 to play my best football in, in Rangers, and uh, you know it was, it was a lot of credit to him. But we of course had our we our, our bets, you know, I mean like everybody probably had where he wanted me to do more certain things, and I felt I did it. But and then you had to quickly learn that you know I mean to keep your spot, you have to do what the manager needs you to do and work hard at it so that's what I tried to do and you know I thought he he was great for me to be fair John you mentioned the Seville season uh, amazingly you've known some incredible highs and lows in life and in mm. football uh, in the Seville season you go to Anfield beat Liverpool you score mm. uh, and then you don't make the final because of injury well that was the quarter final we we, we played Liverpool at Celtic Park, which was probably, also Anfield, was was probably one of the best experiences that I've ever, ever experienced. Two lots of sets of fans singing, you'll never walk alone together. 60,000, Liverpool must have had 15,000 in the away end. Um, it was very much the same at Anfield. And I, I grew up a Liverpool supporter. I still have a, a soft touch for Liverpool. Ian Rush was Welsh. Centre forward, he was my hero, he was my idol, and I went on to play with Rushy with the national team. So that's the reason for that. Um, but we played at Celtic Park. We we drew one-one. Emil Heskey scored their goal, and Henrik got our goal. And in between the legs, we played. Um, I think Henrik, uh, sorry, Chris Sutton, had broke his jaw um, in a game. Oh, sorry, he broke his shoulder. Chris Sutton had broke his shoulder and Chris didn't play. So it was a big loss when we had to go to Anfield a week later. We're 1-1 from the first game. And we know that we have to score because um, they've got the away goal. 
So we go to Anfield 1-1 from Celtic Park. And Martin's team talk was, was incredible. He basically just said to us, look, this is where we can fail small margins or we can come away as a great team. Not many people, teams, come to Anfield midweek on a European night and, and, and win. You know, Liverpool's six European Cups have been an incredible European team. They just get it done, you know, over the years. They, they just seem to know, especially at Anfield, how to win European big games. So we knew the task ahead of us. And we went to Anfield and won the game 2-0. A wonderful performance. Liverpool fans clapped us off. And we're through to the semi-final. Then we go to, we play Boa Vista. Henrik scores a late goal. We're in the final. On the Against Boa Vista, um, we come back three days later. That's a Thursday night as well, the UEFA Cup. We come back on the Sunday. We play Rangers. We beat them 2-1 at Ibrox. And um, after about 65 minutes, my back went. My disc burst in my back. And I looked over to the bench and I, I, I waved to Martin and I almost went, I'm done. Bring me off. I can't move. I'm done. And I knew then, with about five or six weeks to go from that game, we're sitting in the final. I knew I wouldn't play in the final. And I played in every one of them games in the UEFA Cup run. I played in 12 out of 13 games of that Cup run. And I missed the final. So, obviously, I was very disappointed. Um, and I was there. I was there on the night um, with 60,000 Celtic fans who had, who had travelled from Glasgow to make the game. And um, it was disappointing that, again, that we couldn't win. Henrik scored his 199th and 200th goals for the club that night. And um, I'm not too sure whether that made a difference here because it was ridiculously hot. Mm. And I, I generally struggled in the heat pre-season and everything because of my colouring. Um, you know, on, on the night there in Seville, the, the weather was horrendously warm and hot and muggy. Um, but the, the lads obviously give, give their award, but unfortunately we couldn't come back with a cup. So is that why you moved to Scottish football? There was never any sunshine here. <laughs> well, there's less sunshine than Edinburgh, let me tell you now. <laughs> because you're both the same in that regard, Peter. You know, you still live in Glasgow. John lives outside of Edinburgh. Uh, what was it about Scotland that uh, that had that long-lasting attraction for you? Um, first of all, my wife is Scottish. <laughs> she's uh, she's from here, so um, right, my two kids, uh, my two daughters, um, they're also now yeah, proper Scottish. So um, I don't know. I just always felt at home here. You know, I, I love Scotland. Um, on my personal, you know, I love everything about it. It's not too different from Denmark. Um, so it's I don't know. It's, I love the history about it. I love. I, I just love everything about Scotland in that way and it was actually me who wanted to come back here more than my wife believe it or not when I finished playing um, I always said we wanted to keep the house here and when I was down in Birmingham we were thinking about my wife wanted to stay in Newcastle and uh, she loved it there and um, so did I loved it there but I just always wanted to come back here and also be close to my wife's family and stuff so it was it was important for me to come back for my kids sake as well for being travelling for so many years to travel around with me to Germany to Newcastle to Birmingham I wanted a bit of stability for them, so it was it was an easy decision for me to make, and, and we with my wife that we, we decided to come back here. Um, <laughs> since then, to where my wife wants to go again, <laughs> she wants to be away and, and experience stuff. And but yeah, it's uh, 
I just love being here, Hugh, honestly. It's, it's a fantastic place to be and um, I've had some fantastic times here and, and that probably helps with it as well. You played for big clubs after Rangers, but yeah. was it ever quite the same after Rangers? Um, like I had a fantastic career, in my own opinion, afterwards, but the clubs I ended up playing for, for Schalke, for Newcastle, for for Birmingham and, and that, but um, I loved my time in, in Newcastle. It was also one of the best times I've had as a footballer. Um, we had such a fantastic team and some unbelievable experience winning the championship and, and going up and I made some friends for life there as well and uh, you know I, I really enjoyed it. And, and Schalke, to be honest, as well, was some experience to play in the Bundesliga was, was incredible. Oh. You know, the football over there was stadiums and everything that comes with it the whole setup is just fantastic um, it was difficult to to live to be honest because of the professionalism they have over there they're basically in a hotel every game and we were, I was never really home and I had a newborn girl my, my oldest Sophie was born in Germany and I was never home to help with my wife and the language for my wife I could speak German but oh. she couldn't so it was different for her to to be able to settle over there and that was also one of the reasons why I decided to go back to to Newcastle back to Britain in, in that way because um it would try to help me a little bit with, with my family life to to get back to a normal um so like I say you know I had some fantastic football clubs but the experience you have at Rangers you know with winning titles winning cups and and European night Champions League football is yeah it doesn't get better than that probably John, from 2001 to 2006, you had five tumultuous years as a Celtic player. How did you analyse life after Celtic? Difficult, because I went to West Brom. Uh, Brian Robson signed myself and Kevin Phillips on the same day. Uh, signed Kevin from Aston Villa. Um, signed myself from Celtic. And uh, we were looking to take West Brom back into the Premier League. Um Gone Strachan, it was, who I just won the league with. Myself and Magic Zaravsky had scored uh, 20 goals each. Uh, we'd won the league in Gordon's first year. Um, it was a little bit of a shock leaving because I didn't expect it. I went off in the summer for the summer break and I got a phone call from Gordon saying that he'd left it a couple of days to, to let me calm down. <laughs> but, I, but I'd seen it on the television and I had to read it on Sky Sports that Celtic have decided to uh, to accept five hundred thousand for John Hartson to go back to West to go down to West Brom. So I was a little bit, I wouldn't say you know, listen, a little bit knocked at the way it happened because I, I never really got that big send off game, if you like that that people like to have when you know sometimes it's your it's your last game or your last appearance and um, you know you can you can give it the old thanks to the fans and wave and go around the pitch whatever they are. I never got that. I never got that um, chance at Celtic and the club was, was meant so much to me. Um, but again, going to West Brom, I, I started to... Um, I was playing in the reserves on a Wednesday night and six months prior to that, I was playing at the, you know, the, the new camp against Barcelona. So it was very difficult to deal with. Um, plus, I was getting ill. The cancer was slowly growing on me and... Um, I was finding it difficult. I put a lot of weight on around my chin. Um, my wife couldn't understand why I needed so much sleep. I was sleeping in the afternoons a lot. Um, and I just lost my way a little bit after that. And then I was diagnosed with testicular cancer, which I went into a, you know, a, a big battle with my own personal life after that. But you can never replace 
Celtic, Henrik did. He went to Manchester United and won a, won a, won a Champions League with Barcelona, of course. But he'd given seven great years and I, I'd given five years. And But like Peter said, you know, it's it's never the same um, unless you can go to a, a global club, of course, um, like some people do from Celtic. But, you know, you have such special times there, you, uh, the adulation, everything else, living in Glasgow, what comes with it, you know, it, it means a lot. And um, I've, I've got nothing but special memories, you know, one or two ups and downs and things like this, which is part and parcel of a career. You tell me anybody who's always just had ups and ups and ups. It don't quite happen like that. Life is not like that. Mm. Um, but it, it was never the same Football-wise, I went on loan with Jim Duffy for a month at Norwich. I knew Jim. I played against his Dundee side for Celtic on a few occasions. So I went and tried to help Jim out in terms of um, my experience at Norwich. Um, That didn't quite work out either. I was pretty much finished at 32, 33. Um, And then, as I said, I I had my battle then. I was working in the media, first of all, a lot of work for Satanta, with Terry Butcher, of course, um, and, and and we were doing the Scottish games for a few years. But uh, as I said, Celtic's very special, and it's great when we sometimes get to see all you know the former players, and sometimes we organise a few nights and things like this. And Celtic put on you know special games and stuff, and they invite all the players along, and not everybody comes, but. The players that do come, it's great to catch up, you know, and I see Martin, as I said, my old gaffer, Gordon, supports my charity as well, Gordon Strachan. So it's a very special club and my feelings towards it would, would be exactly the same as Peter's are with Rangers. When you were clinging to life, John, I think the response from the Celtic supporters at that particular time showed how much you meant to them. No, well, thank you, Hugh, for saying that, but um, it was overwhelming the amount of support that I received. And I have to say, it wasn't just Celtic fans, it was Rangers fans, it was Tottenham Hotspur fans that played in derbies for Arsenal against Spurs and West Ham. And um, the football world was was incredible, really, with their support. It was the, the flowers and the letters and the cards and the telegrams and the hospital. I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. Um, it was really overwhelming, boxes and boxes of support and you know the Celtic family of course um, they were just incredible they were incredible uh, in terms of their support and and everything else because I think when it when it, it it's like you know I, I can remember um, Ali McCoist and Walter Smith carrying you know the great Tommy Burns's funeral into uh, sorry his coffin into um, into Celtic Park and um, the amount of Celtic people were at Fernando Rickson's funeral and, and Jimmy Johnson and, you know, the Rangers people that were there, John Gregg and everything, you know, when, when Jimmy Johnson passed away, Rangers legends. And, and I think when it comes to something, you know, life or death or somebody unfortunately passes away, I think I think as much as we, we love the rivalry and we love the passion, it all gets put to one side. And then Glasgow, Celtic and Rangers, more than anybody, pull together in terms of that, you know, um, togetherness and sending the respect that, that, that this game deserves. 
And sometimes it blows up and there's incidents and things like this, of course, that police get involved and unnecessary stuff, which nobody really needs. But you're always going to have that um, one or two isolated incidents. But what I'm trying to say is when when somebody is on their deathbed or when somebody has unfortunately we've lost somebody who was a great for either side, um, I think then more than anything that the two sides, Celtic and Rangers, the supporters will pull together. It's it's remarkable to see it, really. Final question to Peter and yourself, John. Uh, Peter, we're in the midst of a season quite unlike any other, with Celtic going for 10 in a row and Rangers trying to stop 10 in a row. Would you love it to be 20 years ago and you were putting the boots on? <laughs> um Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I would love to be part of it still. You know, um, if you had the body to be able to handle it again, um, I wouldn't never turn down putting the boots back on again for Rangers. You know, I still love doing it for the, in the Legends games now, and they come up, you know, to go and play every bit again. Um, but yeah, yeah, if it was that sort of, you could do that. That would be fantastic. But yeah. So, do you think the pressure is on Celtic or Rangers? Both. You know, I mean, but probably mostly on Rangers. I would say. Um, Celtic, um, and like you say, is going for ten in a row. Um, they'll have a bit more freedom of they, what they've achieved already with nine in a row. Um, so going for the ten would be special for them. But for Rangers to stop that for happening, I think is 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 key. So and also Rangers haven't won anything in a while. So I think also for Steven Gerrard to to be able to get the first trophy back for the club since everything that's happened would be very meaningful. And and that so um, I think the pressure is probably a little bit more on Rangers. John, you were an emotional man who fed off the crowd and they responded to you. Could you have contemplated playing football, especially a game against Rangers, with no fans? Who it's it's awful. It's it's awful. The situation is awful, but we have to adhere to what the the government are recommending. We have to adhere to social distancing. I'm sure if there was a way to get people into the ground and support us, I think they'd, they'd maybe try and find a way. But at this moment in time, just can't quite take that risk. Whether we're in a second uh, bout of you know this pandemic, this COVID, um, but it's it's not great, is it? You know, football is about the supporters. It's it's about the you know uh, you feed off the energy of the crowd and. And I just think from for both clubs, I think when you when you're playing at Celtic and you're playing against Rangers, you've got to be brave and you've got to handle the ball and you've got to dictate midfield and everything. And at this moment in time, when you give the ball away against Rangers or any particular team, the crowd will get on top of you in a good way. You know, they they'd almost remind you, hey, you gotta get hold of the ball. Come on, don't be lazy, don't be sloppy. Oh. Players now are getting on the ball and they can give it away and everything else. And they've got they've got no crowd. They've got they've got no pressure in terms of that. John, before I say goodbye to Peter Lovencrans, I'll, I'll say this to you. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you once again. And uh, don't give up on the punditry because I've been bluffing my way through it and I'm seventy now. <laughs> <laughs> Good words, wise words. I'll do my best. Good man, John. Peter, it's been a pleasure to meet you. The Scottish accent is magnificent. <laughs> uh, what does the future hold for you now? Um, yeah, actually, I'm in a bit of a, a pickle now. You know, I, I left Rangers Academy and um, Rangers Football Club for um, a manager's job that I'd uh, agreed and 
and everything and and covid hit and stopped me from getting my work visa and my permit to get into the country to start my managing job so it's been a very frustrating three months i've been basically sitting waiting for three months for the, the country to open back up to let me in to start my job as my first managing job so i'm trying to be positive i'm trying to stay stay yeah, stay fit and stay. Yeah, keep my mind fresh and and keep going and keep being positive about it. Um, um, big thanks to my wife for these things because to have me home for three months, <laughs> it's not been easy probably for her. She never had that before. So, um, so yeah, I'd say uh, I'm just basically sitting waiting and hopefully I will be in my managing job as soon as possible. But um, we just need to wait and see when it happens. That first step on the managerial ladder is that a managerial ladder you would hope one day took you back to Ibrox? Yes, I would. I would never turn down probably a job at, at Ibrox um, if it ever came across that way. But, you know, I just wanted to go and, and I wanted to be a manager and I want to go and experience it. I want to go and do my very best to, to be a successful manager. Um, and if it takes me back there at some point, you know, I mean, yeah, it would be fantastic. Um, but first of all, I need to go and learn and, and go and grow as a manager and go and, and learn my trade in a proper way. John Hartson, Peter Lovenkranz, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks, Shay. All the best, Peter. All the best to you, John. Super Scoreboard. The old firm through the decades.